Good morning, Blueprint Church. Uh, my name is Josh. If I haven't met you yet, nice to meet you. Uh, I'm the director of the college ministry here. Uh, it's called the Salt Company, and as you might have noticed, we're emphasizing a couple of college things today um, because it's actually their last week of the semester right now. Like, they're, some of them have already finished finals, and some of them are finishing finals, so kudos, guys. That, that is a tough couple of weeks, but man, great work. You did it. Um, yeah, and I, I feel like super honored just to get to come here and like share from the word with you guys today. Um, and so like uh, Mitchell said earlier, um, we're actually going to be stepping away from Luke for just one week, and we're going to be in John chapter 15. So if you want to open up your Bibles to John 15, we're going to start in verse 1. But as you're turning there, uh, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had an amazing experience, like one that's like so like powerful and like, like man, this is so sweet, and like you're like, man, I just don't want to lose that moment. You're just like, man, the, the, it's so perfect right now. The relationship is so fun, or like the, the moment is just so great. I, 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 I don't want to lose it. I want that to last forever. One of those moments for me was um, actually in college. Um, I was with some buddies, and last second, one of my buddies was like, hey, do you want to like skip class tomorrow and drive through the night and go to Colorado and hang out with one of our buddies that graduated a semester earlier and just chill? And I was like, man, I have the right amount of momentum and stupidity and energy to do it right now. And so we left, and it was great. And we drive through the night, you know, 12 hours, no sleep, terrible. We get there at sunrise, and we're there with my friends, and like, great weekend. But in the midst of it, we, we had one night where we were camping on the side of a mountain. And we had taken like a little hike in, and we're sitting on this huge rock, and we're overlooking the sunset. And I'm like, man, that's like... I want this moment to, like, last forever. I'm with my best friends in the best place looking at the best things. It's like, oh, I want that. Now, that mountaintop experience, I can't have it forever. I can't live on the rock. I don't know how to scavenge for food. I'm not particularly adept at that. I would die. So I had to come down. But I, I want to ask you a different question. Have you ever had a spiritual mountaintop moment? One that isn't based off of, like, a context and, like, man, the scenery is beautiful. Not one that's, like, based off of, like, the physical surroundings or the moment or the emotion that you feel in the moment, but, like, no, no, no. It's like, oh, I've been with Christ. That moment where, like, I, I see clearly now what was phasey before, like, what was foggy before. Like, I can actually, I can see clearly God's direction in my life. The word, when I open it up, it's actually speaking to me in power right now. You ever had that moment? Th those moments to me, like, those are the ones that, like, I crave. To be with Jesus in such an intimate way that I'm seeing clearly his will for my life. And to sit there and to love it and to embrace it and to be in the midst of it. And guys, I, I think about college students a ton. It's part of my job, so I kind of have to. Um, and what I don't want for them is for college to be just a mountaintop moment that doesn't characterize the rest of their life. It can't be a four-year experience. It cannot be a couple years of, man, Jesus seems really cool right now, but I've lost it. I've come down from the mountain. I've come back to reality, and now things are just nine-to-five work. Now things are business as usual. I don't see the trajectory of God's life in my vision for my life anymore. That, that can't happen. And I think a lot about the way that Paul finishes his last letter to Timothy, the, the man he discipled most. 
in, in the way he, he ends this thrust, he says this, guys, I, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith, and there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who love his appearing. How do we have the kind of faith that isn't about a mountaintop experience once, but it's so powerful, actually, that when we're 75, 85, 90 years old, we can honestly say, I fought the good fight. I ran the race. I've kept the faith. How can we be like Paul? That's what I think about with college students. Like, how can I, how can I make you guys like Paul? I can't do it. That, that's one thing I've come to know. But what we have from the word today is, I think, the way of life that actually brings about real transformation for an eternity. Not just a nice moment on a mountaintop, but a lifetime of seeing Jesus clearly. And so if you guys would, turn with me. I'm going to reread the text. I know we've already read it once, but I think it's so powerful. I want to sit in this, guys. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father, he's the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You here, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So remain in me and I in you just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. And if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit, and you prove to be my disciples. I love how that ends. My Father is glorified in this. Our Father, he's glorified in this when we bear fruit in his name, and when we prove to be his disciples. When Paul says, I've fought the good fight, I've run the race, I've kept the faith, that glorifies God. A full life lived for him glorifies him. So I want us to think today, what does it look like to be people who are proven to be disciples when our last days are coming? How do we endure? I feel like endurance is uh, something that I've learned a lot about recently. Um, I was supposed to go and be physically at a staff retreat this week, and unfortunately, my wife got sick. I couldn't make it, and like, I didn't want to get her infected, get everyone infected. I'm fine. We're cool. No COVID, promise. Um, and I'm like, man, uh, oh, it's, it's cool. I'll zoom into these meetings. You know what fatigued me really fast? About three minutes of a Zoom meeting painful, painful. I thought I had kind of gotten like grown up a tolerance through COVID. Didn't happen. No tolerance. I sat in there. I'm like, man, this is hard. And I'm like, okay, I got to pay attention. Got to do it. Great content. It's just Zoom. I couldn't do it. So how do we, if, if it's hard for me to endure through a Zoom meeting that lasts a couple hours long, how are we supposed to endure through a lifetime where there's real COVID and there's real pain and there's real hurt? And now all of a sudden we're saying, yeah, I, I'm going to get to the end. Jesus is saying here, the answer is to cling to the true vine, to remain in him to the end of your days. Jesus is the true vine, and we're supposed to 
remain in him. Now, your text might, it might say abide, it might say stay with or cling to, but I think remain actually clarifies some stuff. You know, it's like the same word that's used when Paul is writing to the Corinthians about the gifts. He's saying, hey man, there's all these gifts, like prophecy, and there's going to be, you know, healing and all this stuff, but you know what's going to remain? You know what will abide? Faith, hope, and love. When I come back, those things are going to remain. The point here is like, the ones who remain in Jesus today will remain when he returns. So, what does life attached to the vine look like for us now? What does it actually look like? Well, we, we get some clarity here. First, um, we get some kind of scary information. He says this, the father's the gardener, that's a good thing, but then it says this, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. Okay, remove the, fruit, the branches that don't produce fruit. The second thing that he says is this, and the ones that are producing fruit, yeah, he's going to prune those ones. He's going to produce every, he's going to prune every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Pruning is like when you go into a branch and you like cut it, you know? So I, I had some bushes in the backyard when I was growing up and uh, they were nice lilacs. They blossomed and they had beautiful flowers for like three weeks out of the year and then the rest of the year they were boring bushes, but that's not a big deal. Um, when my parents would like, man, how can we like maximize these lilacs? How can we make them to flourish more? They would go in and they would learn about pruning. And one year they really screwed it up, but the next year they kind of nailed it. And so, I don't know, it, it, it's a great time. But here's the really important things about pruning, guys. There's three things, uh, actually four things about pruning that really matters. The cut matters. What you actually cut has a huge impact on the actual plant that you're trying to cultivate. So the cut matters. The second thing is the timing matters. You don't prune at the beginning of springtime, you're going to kill the blossoms. So context and timing matters in the midst of the life of a pruning believer. The, second, the third thing is uh, that the one doing the pruning really matters because they have full control over the cuts being made. You know one thing? They handed me some plier or some like shears, you know, a couple times. Bad move. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like a reckless, you know, like, what, seventh grader trying to, like, listen, but really I didn't want to do it. And so take some chops off the top, and it was like some chops off the top. Bad news. It, like, harmed the plant long term. It recovered after a couple years, but, like, you, you have care with who you allow to prune you. And then lastly, pruning, the cut matters, the timing matters, the one doing the pruning matters, but it always is in the best interest of the plant. Pruning is done to bring about cultivation of a flourishing life. So, when we take this idea of pruning and we apply it spiritually to ourselves, what can we gather? The first thing, the cut matters. So actually, you know, before we get to, I, I want to define biblical pruning for us for a second. I think when Jesus is saying he's going to prune those on the vine, a really helpful way to think about it is like biblical sanctification. Sanctification, $50 word, it means actually making us holier, making us look more like Jesus. That's what's happening here. He says here, I'm going to cut every branch that produces fruit so it will produce more fruit. He says, you're already clean. He's writing this to disciples who already believe in Jesus. And he's saying, I, I know you're clean. You're already mine. This is who you are. You're made in the image of God. I'm just going to refine you now. I'm going to cut you. I'm going I'm to actually prune you so that you would bear more fruit. And it's painful. 
the cut matters, and it's painful, guys. In James 1, it's referred to as trials and tests. In Romans 8, it's referred to as labor pains. The one undeniable truth about pruning is that it hurts, and that the Christian life is marked by this kind of sanctification. The Christian life is leaning into a God who will inflict momentary pain for eternal glory. That's worth it. We lean into momentary pain for eternal glory because we trust a good God. And guys, the cut matters, and God never cuts the wrong thing. His aim isn't bad. He's not a seventh grader, like, taking a best shot at some weird lilacs in the backyard. He knows what he's doing. He understands us. He knows us. He's not going to cut off the thing that should have stayed in your life. He, he will not do that. He's never going, but on the other hand, he will never, ever allow anything to remain that would detract from your life with Christ. He will not let you live into something that's actually going to kill you. He won't allow your branch to become diseased and broken and ill. He will cut it off for your good and for his glory. He will cut off the dead and the sick, and he'll even cut healthy things, things that to you and me might be like, man, why would he do that? but to prepare future growth. So, the cut matters, and we have a God who makes perfect cuts every time. Second, timing matters. God's timing is perfect. I, I think, personally, as I've, like, thought through this, and I was reading through this text, I thought a lot about my own life. Like, where am I seeing pruning in my life? And uh, it's happening a lot, because there's a lot that needs to be pruned. Tracy and I, we moved from central Iowa to Atlanta here almost a year ago, it was like May 25th, so we're, we're right there. We're almost at 12 months, um, and it's been a really hard year. It's been hard because we left our home and our families, our best friends. It's been hard because we travel to a totally different cu- culture. You know, it's like, man, central Iowa, Atlanta, Georgia, not similar. You, you, I probably didn't have to tell you that. There's no parallels, none, and that's uncomfortable. You know what God's been revealing in me? Sometimes I want comfort more than I want his kingdom. Sometimes I actually would prefer to not be pruned and to like, man, just not right now. Like, let me just bear some fruit first. Let me just go and do this thing that I really want to do. Let me do something cool for you, God, if you'll just like protect me in my comfort for a moment. God is too kind to let that happen to us. He's too kind to allow me to come here with, without doing anything in my own soul. He's been showing me this idol of like, pr- like, like pride and loving comfort, and he's ripping at it every single day. And praise God that he is. Now, one thing here with timing, sometimes, man, it's like, man, this is, I'm, I feel like I'm handicapped. I feel like I can't even do ministry the way that God is like hurting me and wounding me. Like, why, why would he let something like this happen to me? Like, I thought I could bear more fruit this way. God has perfect timing, and he isn't totally bound to our physical, real-world understanding of pruning. If I prune a bush right before springtime, it will not bear fruit. God's timing isn't based on the seasons. It's based off of his power. He can come in here, into my own soul, prune me deeply, show me and expose my sin to myself and to others, and still choose to bear fruit through me, not because I'm doing anything impressive, but because it's only by his power that any fruit will be born at all. 
He does that in us. He does that in you, Christian. We serve a God who is in control of the timing. The timing matters, and he is in perfect control of it. He hasn't mistaken. He hasn't forgotten you. You will bear your fruit in your season. Third, the one doing the pruning matters. This is obvious now, guys. The Christian life, it's marked by pruning, but it's also marked by his presence. It's marked by the presence of God. He's with us. The Father's with us this entire time. He's the one making the cuts because he cares for us, not because he doesn't care about us. You know what? Pruning, it's actually proof that you matter to him. You see that? Those who, uh, he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so it will produce more fruit. He wants you to be his disciple. He wants you to grow and to flourish. He cares about you. Some of you just need to come here and just hear, you matter to God. That's true. In its finality, you matter to God. He cares for you enough to do the right thing that you might flourish. A pastor that I really love and appreciate, he, he puts it this way often. He says, you matter, but you're not the point. You matter, but you're not the point. Jesus, he's the vine. He matters. He, he is the true point. We're the branch. We're not the point, but by God's grace, we matter to him. He's given us so much grace, and he cares for us. Lastly, pruning is for your flourishing. Pruning always leads to more fruit and to more beauty. It always does. I think that's been really hard for me to believe at moments, especially this year. It's been hard for me to believe in my own life because when the pain hits, I don't think about what God might be doing in the future. I just feel the moment. I feel handicapped. It feels like a limb is being ripped off of me because I'm a branch and I just lost one of my branches. That's what it feels like. And I, I think one really hard challenge with this text is like, man, is there something about us that's like so fundamentally wrong that God had to cut it off? Is there something in me that's like so ugly and so gross that actually it had to be cast aside and burned? And the truth is, for me, yes. Now, we weren't designed that way. We were designed in glory. The Bible says that we were made in God's image. We were bearing his very image. If you're here today and you're like, man, I don't know about Jesus. Like, this is kind of interesting. Like, why would I go and, uh, like, why would I lean into something that's telling me I got to get rid of parts of me? Why would I want that? Why, why is that the flourishing life? That seems weird. That seems wrong. Isn't the flourishing life like learning who I am? Jesus says that this way, he who loses his life for me will find it. That's a weird phrase. If you lose your life for me, you will truly find it. Now, he's not saying you're going to find some different life. He's saying you're going to find your real one. We live under the delusion that actually our present lives and our best wants in our moment right now is the thing that's actually going to lead to my most flourishing tomorrow. Have you ever uh, been around and like you discover a new hobby and you're like, man, this is like what I was designed for. You're like, man, this is so good. I didn't even have to like do anything. I just love this thing. It's already great. It was like, I, I love that. I think that that's kind of what this is like. You didn't even know that you were designed for Jesus in the beginning. But once you taste him, you're going to realize, oh, this is actually what I've been longing for my whole life. This is what I've needed most truly. This is actually who I am at my core. 
when I started rock climbing in college, I had no idea that it was even a thing, and I like kind of tried it out. I was like, man, this is like this is my identity now. I'm a rock climber. <laughs> Finding Jesus is like that. You didn't even know that he was your identity. But you find him, it's like, oh, actually, he is far more important than anything else I had in my life. He's come to characterize everything about me. That is what it means to be on the vine. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's to say, actually, he is better than everything else in my entire life. I'm going to cling to him and only him because he's truly worthy. And I'm learning more about myself in the moment. Guys, the life on the vine, it's marked by pruning, but it's also marked by God's presence. Pruning and presence, we have those promises from God. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, man, okay, I've been hearing this. That's interesting. I don't really, I kind of want to bear some fruit. That sounds like a good thing. I'll do that. But I really don't want to get cut. It just, it's not the move. I'm not going to get pruned. I won't do it. Maybe you're thinking, you're sitting here like, man, I'm going to attend church and I'm going to be like around him. I'll be around God. But I'm not sure I'm going to like be grafted in to what he's doing. I'm not sure I'm going to attach myself wholly to him and derive all of my nutrients from him. I don't know if that's for me. I want to make this really clear, guys. Jesus says this, remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches, the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. But if anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, they throw them into the fire, and they're burned. That's a scary text. Now, I, I want to make one thing clear. He's not saying that he's going to rip present Christians that actually believe in the grace of Jesus and that he came to this earth, that he died on the cross and he rose again three days later, and they follow him with all their heart. He's not going to rip you off and cast you out if you had a bad day. That isn't what the text is saying. The text is saying, if you've been someone who's okay being around God, but not being of God, if you're okay being, like, you ever, like, seen a tree in your yard, and it's like, there's a detached, like, limb from a different tree that kind of got blown in there, and it's like, hanging, so you have to, like, climb up and pull it out and yank it out. It's like that. There are no fake, I'm just resting, but I'm actually not attached to Jesus, Christians. That isn't a biblical category. There is no biblical category for attending but not participating. There is no biblical category for being uh, proximity, close to Jesus, but not of him. Jesus is saying, if you want to endure to the end, cling to the vine. Be wholeheartedly about him. There is no world where that exists. And simultaneously, you can't bear fruit apart from him. Christians, examine your life. Consider your soul. Do you like, would you prefer to bear fruit apart from Christ because it would mean less pain? Would you, do you wish that you could just be a little bush all by yourself? Do you wish you were your own vine, producing your own sustenance? That's a dangerous place to be. I want all of us to see this and be like, man, that actually isn't the life for me. There is a better version of my life, and it's in Christ. 
Guys, here's, when Jesus says, I'm the vine, he's making a statement that is far deeper than what it initially appears to be. It just seems like it's a metaphor. It seems like it's like, oh, that's one way to think and understand who Jesus is. But he's actually bringing back, like, this long-term, like, understanding of God's redemptive plan for the world. You see, in the Garden of Eden, listen, that garden, the place where God walked with Adam and Eve, it was a garden. It was supposed to be cultivated and broad. It was supposed to be lush and filled with life. Adam and Eve sinned. The ground is cursed. The vines are cursed. They literally become thorned. That's like one of the curses. And they get cast out. And from that moment on, God promises to bring back his people into his presence. And he says, I'm going to do it through Israel. I'm going to do it through this nation. They're going to be the vine. And so there's this theme in the Old Testament. Israel is the vine. They're the ones that are going to be bearing fruit. And people are going to see it and they're going to be like, I want to graft into that vine. Let me, let me take a place on that tree. I want to be a part of that, what's happening there. But Israel failed. They couldn't get away from themselves. They thought that they were sustaining themselves and, and they, they, they walked away from their God. They rejected the pruning of the Father. They stayed distant. And Jesus came to be the true vine. The good news of the gospel is that even when we have failed at every single turn, Jesus did it. He came to this world. He planted deep roots. He hung on the tree. He was pierced on his side. He was cut so that we could have life. He died so that we might flourish, and he rose again that we might have his power. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the truth for all of us here today. If you believe, do you cling to the vine? Is that like, is that what you crave? Some of you in this room today need to evaluate. We need to consider, man, is my life the kind of life where I've loved the mountaintop experience, but I I don't want to stay there? And so I'm just going to come back to reality. I'm going to allow it to actually govern the way I live my life. And I'm not going to be attached to that vine. I'm going to make my own. I'm going to bear my own fruit. I'll see how it goes. That's not a life worth living. That's not a life where you'll grow. It's not a life of flourishing. For us to remain, we need to embrace the pruning of our Father. Because he loves us. He has our best interests at at his heart. And he knows everything that we need. He cares for us like that. So Christians, I want to I want to give us just a couple of ways. Like, man, what does it actually mean to remain? Like, how do we remain in this? If that's the truth, if that's what it is, then how do I do it? Like, I want to stay there for the rest of my life. Like, how do I stay at the mountaintop? How do I hold fast to something that seems so hard? This is what Jesus says. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want, and it'll be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Okay, three things. One, word of God. If the word of God is in me, you see that? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, if we have the word of God over in our, in our minds, we cling to Christ. You know, it's not a very new or creative idea. Read the Bible. Oh, man, you'll love Jesus more. Like, I'm not saying I'm the first one to ever say that. But the, the thing is, it works. That's actually like a gift from God. 
that we have his real word, and it actually transforms our life. Now, I want to make something clear. You don't read the Bible to get better at reading the Bible. Like, that's a nice byproduct. It's great if you're great at reading the Bible, but if you're like, man, I've never read it. I don't know. It's kind of scary. I don't know what to do about it. That's okay. The goal isn't to be the best theologian. It's to cling to Jesus. We, this Bible, it's accessible to all of us. It is deep, and it is nuanced, and it is hard to read, but it is also freely given. There's also the Spirit of God that comes and empowers us and gives us understanding. I, I think of um, spiritual disciplines like this. Zacchaeus, there's a story about Zacchaeus, a small man. He climbs up to a tree, and he's like, he can't see Jesus in the crowds, and so he's like, I'm going to climb to the tree just so I can get a view of Jesus. Kind of weird. He was willing to discipline his body to do anything it took to see Christ. Are we willing to do anything it takes to just get a glimpse of Jesus? Are we willing to climb the mountaintops? Are we willing to sit in his presence? Are we willing to open up the word and actually be faithful to it? Because when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. Be like Zacchaeus. Do everything in your power to get clear views of Christ at every turn. Cling to him. First, remain in the words. The second, ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. That's a nice thing. God wants uh, to give us good gifts. He loves us. He, he actually cares about us. And so, we should be begging him that we would actually remain with him. We should be begging him that we would bear fruit for him. We should be begging him that he would transform our lives. We need the word of God in our minds and we need our prayers on our lips. Cling to Jesus. When you pray, you're automatically saying, I don't have power over the situation. You know who doesn't pray? People who think they have control. We need to be men and women of the word and men and women who are humble in our prayers. Praying makes us dependent on a holy God. So let's be people who pray. And third, we need the word of God, we need to be praying to God, and we need people of God. This is not a very revolutionary sermon. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. Those are the same three points you probably heard in some other sermon some other time. Guys, this is the biblical truth of people that endure for the ages. Paul, the one who lasted, he clung to the simple truth from God. And you notice, there's branches here, plural, it's not like individual branch. If you think that your brand of Christianity is, oh man, there's the vine and I'm like one branch all by myself, you're missing the boat. You're missing the point. You aren't an individual branch that's going to flourish by yourself. That looks like a very weird tree. It doesn't work that way. We're a part of a body. We actually get to be along with one another. We need each other and we stand by each other. So the people that cling to Christ, the ones that endure to the end, the ones that prove to be his disciples, they have the word of God in their minds, they have the prayers of God on our lips, and we have the people of God beside us. That's what it means. That's how we endure. We sit in the grace of God when we read the word. We sit in the grace of God when we pray to him. We sit in the grace of God when we're by the people of God. All of these things, they help us to remember the cross. They help us to cling to the vine. They're reminded of what's ultimately true. And guys, they also give us hope. I think in the midst of all of this, it can be overbearing to think of a full life that we have to live. And the amount of pruning and the amount of like deep wounds that we're actually going to experience, 
and that there's like real pain to embrace. But there is hope. I want to read to you guys, not from John, but from 1 John, same guy writing a letter to a church, and he says this about the moment when Jesus is going to return. He says this, Dear friends, we're God's children now, and what will be has not yet been revealed. But we know that when Jesus appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. There is hope. There is a day when Jesus is coming back. There is a day when actually all of the brokenness, it's going to be gone. The pruning, it'll be over with. Because we won't need to be pruned anymore because we'll be with Jesus. That day is coming. And we get to wait and hope for that. And when we hope for it, we're purified. That's good news, church. I'm praying for us that we would be this kind of people. That would be these people of the word, people of prayer, people of God. So let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for for the grace that you've extended to us. Thanks for being the true vine. The one that we can cling to for all the days of our lives. The one who will actually sustain us and keep us. The one who cares for us. The one who loves us enough to prune us. The one who actually has the power to defeat our deepest sins. The one who has the power to bear fruit in the ones that seem like they will never bear fruit. The one who has power over everything in our lives, Lord. We love you. You are worthy of it. You are glorious. And we pray that this church be full of people who would prove to be your disciples and would bear much fruit to your glory on high. That's what we ask. And so it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.